Today, as we continue our sermon series on Micah 6.8, exploring the concepts of loving kindness, or in Hebrew, this um, uh, word hesed, today we're going to consider a story from the second chapter of Joshua. This Old Testament book comes right after Moses has died, after leading the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years as they wait to enter the promised land. Joshua is appointed to lead the people in this next phase of their journey, which is going to be a kind of messy process of entering and claiming a land for their own. Our scripture today tells of Israel's first encounter as they move from the wilderness to enter the land when Joshua sends two spies into Jericho. And these spies receive kindness there from an unexpected source, a woman named Rahab. And she demands that they show her kindness in return. So as we prepare to hear this story of Rahab and the spies, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A reading from Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went in and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. The king of Jericho was told, Some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out the whole land. But the woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land. And that dread of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. 
The men said to her, Our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rosemary Freeney Harding was a Mennonite who had a commitment to radical hospitality. In the early 1960s, she and her husband, Vincent, became involved in the civil rights movement, and they formed an interracial community in Atlanta called Mennonite House. It served as both a community center and a kind of social experiment. In her memoir, Harding recalls that In addition to our work of placing volunteers with various movement organizations, training young activists, and coordinating early efforts at interracial dialogue and reconciliation, Mennonite House became an important place of retreat for many who were struggling and sacrificing so much to transform the South and the nation. Sometimes movement people would call us from the bus station, and my husband Vincent would drive over and pick them up, and they'd stay for a few days or a few weeks because they needed a place to get some rest. I understood very clearly how important it was to have spaces of refuge in the midst of struggle, spaces of joy and laughter, good food and kind words. In fact, this kind of compassionate care is a transformative force in itself. As the novelist Alistair MacLeod writes, we are all better when we're loved. We are all better when we're loved. If I was an advertising executive and a client hired me to create a slogan for Hesed, this is the pitch I would make. Hesed, we are all better when we're loved. In Micah's threefold formulation for faithful living, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with God, all three of these carry equal weight. But loving kindness is central, it serves as a grounding force. As we learned a few weeks ago when we looked at the biblical concept of justice, one of the reasons we are called to do justice is because as God's people with a particular history, we know what it means to be the vulnerable stranger. For our ancestors were strangers in the land of Egypt. We who call ourselves Christians have also received the extraordinary grace of God through the life and love of Jesus. We know what it means to be loved unconditionally just as we are. We saw this again today in Tyler's baptism, that as infants before we are capable of doing much of anything, God loves us and claims us, and we are all better when we're loved. The story of Rahab and the spies is a story of loving kindness given and received by people who begin as strangers to each other. 
it offers us a glimpse of a different kind of hesed than what we observed with Ruth and Naomi and David and Mephibosheth, and even between God and God's people. In those stories, kindness is extended in existing relationships, and it flows mainly in one direction, from Ruth to Naomi, from David to Mephibosheth, from God to humanity. Someone with power and agency makes a choice to extend kindness to someone else, to someone in need of it. And when we consider such stories, it is our propensity to put ourselves in the shoes of the ones with power and agency rather than the one in need. But the story of Rahab and the spies puts loving kindness in a new light. And we see it here passed between strangers, between enemies. We also see it used transactionally as a bargaining chip. Is this how we want to think of loving kindness? This story is a decidedly human one. It's messy. The Israelites are preparing to claim for themselves as a God-given right a land and a city that are already occupied. According to Rahab, the inhabitants of the land know what is coming. They have heard of the Lord. They know what God has done for God's people, and they are afraid. And they should be afraid. The land will be conquered, and the people already living there will be killed or displaced. Hardly an example of loving kindness. Not only that, but in today's reading, we learn that the first thing these two spies do when they get to Jericho is to spend the night with a prostitute. The Bible is messy, and it is messy because it tells the truth about humanity, and we are complicated. Hesed is also complicated, and it can show up and be magnified even in the midst of our complicated lives, even when we are fixated on our own needs and desires, even when we aren't looking for it, even when we use it as a bargaining chip. Rahab lived on the margins, literally. Jericho was surrounded by a great wall, and Rahab's house, the Bible tells us, was on the outer side of the city wall, and she resided in the wall itself. The reason she is able to get the spies out of Jericho safely is because the window of her house is actually in the wall, so they can escape the city through the window. But this physical location at the margins reflects Rahab's social location. She is marginalized both as a woman and for her line of work. And yet in this story, it is clear that Rahab has power and agency over both the Israelite spies, but also with the Jericho authorities. She wields this power skillfully and strategically to protect her family. She extends kindness to the spies, the kindness of the care of stranger and protection of the vulnerable, but she demands their kindness in return so that when the Israelites attack their city, she and her family can be protected. 
And this is exactly what happens. If we had read on in Joshua, we would hear the spy's instructions to her to hang a crimson cord from her window in the wall, to bring all of her family members into her house so that when the Israelites conquer Jericho, Rahab and her family will be spared. Hesed for Hesed, kindness magnified. Loving kindness, as we have noted, is first and foremost a characteristic of God, whose love and mercy pursues us relentlessly our whole lives long. God who becomes one of us in the person of Jesus and who reveals again and again just how far God is willing to go to love all people, to heal and transform, to teach and welcome, to feed and nurture, to forgive. But in Jesus, we see something else, too. We see that God is willing to become the other, the stranger, the vulnerable, to put God's self on the receiving end of kindness. God is willing to be born into the world as an infant, to become dependent on the care of other human beings. As we know, that doesn't always go well. And yet, God invites humanity into this dance of giving and receiving love, of sharing and spreading and magnifying kindness from you to me and me to you, from friend to stranger, from family member to enemy, between conqueror and conquered, even between victim and perpetrator. Last week, South Africa celebrated Mandela Day in honor of its former leader, Nelson Mandela, who spent 27 years in prison before he became that country's first black president and helped to dismantle apartheid. The journalist Monica Mark is a native Nigerian who married a white South African, and they are raising their children together in South Africa. On Mandela Day, she published a letter to her children in the Christian Science Monitor, a letter in which she reflected on what she hopes they learn from Mandela's legacy. She writes, Mr. Mandela was neither the saint some people make him out to be, nor the sellout that others have painted him. He was simply a man who worked to be a vital part of a movement he realized was far bigger than he was. But he did not let bitterness destroy him. And if you draw anything from his story, I hope it will be that it is possible to have so much grace for yourself that you have enough left over to extend even to those who grievously wrong you. It is possible to have so much grace for yourself that you have enough left over to extend even to those who wrong you. That is chesed. 
the kind that Rahab extended to the spies, her enemies, and the kind they extended to her in return. Hesed brings together justice, humility, and compassion, and it teaches us something about who God is and who we are. Sometimes we will be on the receiving end. We will be the stranger in need of help, the weary traveler in need of rest, the patient in need of care, the sinner in need of forgiveness. And that's good news. Because when we are in the position of receiving loving kindness, we know what it feels like to need it. And we will be equipped to share it the next time we have the chance. We are all better when we are loved. Rosemary Freeney Harding, who co-founded Mennonite House in Atlanta, was inspired by her own experience of God's love and justice which instilled in her a vision of a world she describes this way. There is no scarcity. There is no shortage. No lack of love, of compassion, of joy in the world. There is enough. There is more than enough. Only fear and greed make us think otherwise. No need to starve. There is enough land and enough food. No one need die of thirst. There is enough water. No one need live without mercy. There is no end to grace. And we are all instruments of grace. The more we give it, the more we share it, the more we use it, the more God makes. She concludes, there is no scarcity of love. There is plenty and always more. Amen.